Ipsy SDA Media Network. We know that for the month of September, we have been focusing on outreach and evangelism. On the first week, we heard from Malcolm Jessup, who shared with us seven ways that we can respond to God's love. Last week, we talked about the importance of being locked and loaded, ready to go at a moment's notice when the Lord calls for us to do things. And we looked at the examples given in four Bible characters. From Esther, we talked about how important it is for us to remember that we are where we are for a reason. Job taught us that it is important for us to be faithful no matter what. What we learned from the Hebrew boys is that we needed to have courage in order to walk the walk, in order to do what God has called us to do. And then finally, Isaiah taught us that we needed to be available, for he said, here am I, Lord, send me. Today is a little bit of a different thing. So for the last couple weeks, we've received information We have been challenged, we've been uh, admonished by the word of God that we need to do his bidding, that that is the reason why we're here. Today, I want to share with you the experiences of two individuals who have done just that, who have demonstrated these characteristics in recognizing that they are, that they were where they needed to be at that moment, that they needed to be faithful, have courage to move forward, and to say ultimately to the Lord, here am I, Lord, send me. So first, I'd like to introduce you to Marie Dabney. Marie Dabney is a member of the Ypsilanti Church, and she's going to come and join me here on the platform. And she is our disabilities ministry leader. For those of you who don't know Marie, or didn't grow up, or didn't grow up here at Ypsilanti. Marie has been here a long time, and she has four children. One of those children, Nicolette, is deaf. We would call her a coda. She's a child, oh, sorry, no, that's the different, that's a different, that's the other way. Child of deaf parents. So um, we want to hear from Marie today a little bit about the experience of raising a deaf child and how the Ypsilanti Church has actually had the opportunity and has poured into Nicolette in such a way that Nicolette is actually ministering where she lives now as she is married with a family. So I want to ask Marie first to tell us How did the deaf ministry here at Ypsilanti begin? Happy Sabbath, church. So our ministry started here because I decided to be obedient to God, and he said all our children should be taught of the Lord. Now, I have four children, like Debbie said. Nicolette was not my first child, so my first child did not have a hearing loss. There's no one else in our family with a hearing loss. But when Nicolette came along, I realized in order for her to be taught of the Lord, I needed to speak her language. And I want to, I have a new appreciation for our church today 
because not only was our church supportive of my daughter with a special need, the church is also supporting other members of our church right now as we're very patient and we always include Cam in many times in our services. So we as a church have encouraged and put wrapped our arms around everyone regardless of what special need you might have or how different you may be from somebody else. So when we talk about Nicolette, mm -hmm. and um, we'll show a picture of her. This is Nicolette now. Okay, no, not that one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that is Nicolette, but that's not the one you right. want to show. <laughs> that's Nicolette, okay. So Nicolette, um, she left here from Ypsilanti, mm -hmm. and she went to Maryland to a school, Gallaudet. Right. Tell us about Gallaudet and uh, why it was important for you to ensure that she had connections with uh, church while she was there. Because she's there by herself now. She's left her family and she's there right. alone. Uh, Gallaudet is a deaf university, a university for the deaf in Washington, D.C. When Nicolette left to go to college, she was 18 years old. I wanted all my girls especially to go to church schools, when they, church institutions when they left. Nicolette could not do that. So she had to go to Gallaudet because that's where they would have, where she could be able to flourish. And so I prayed, but when I took her to school and dropped her off, I took her to a nearby church, Capitol Hill, and I showed her where the church was. It was within walking distance from the school because Gallaudet is not in the best part of town. It's a gated community, but they you know, advise the, especially the incoming fr freshmen not to leave campus alone. But I showed Nicolette where the church was and told her, you know, this is where you go to church. I you know, researched, knew they had interpreting at that church. And she said, okay. And she would take her roommate, her friends, whoever. She would take somebody with her when she would go to church on Sabbath. So that was a part of her witnessing. But I know, I'd seen the numbers, and I know that a lot of times, a lot of us, when we get to that age and we leave home, we also leave the church. I didn't want that to happen with Nicolette. And I know, I knew, that between her and my hearing child, she would probably be the easiest one to fall through the cracks. Mm -hmm. So I took her, she listened, she followed, and she went to church every Sabbath and took a few friends with her. None of them were Adventists, she just took whoever would go with her. And that was how she started witnessing. Now it was on one of your visits to Nicolette that you discovered more about her spiritual life and how Nicolette was actually starting to teach her family. Tell us about uh, that, some of that, those aha moments that you discovered, what you didn't know. Right. Uh, yes, Nicolette continued going to church, and after she had a family, they would go to church. But I had the, I had the occasion to go and spend some time with her family this summer. And you know, we go on holidays, we visit back and forth, but I had never been 
in her home and the one in charge while she was at work because her husband was out of town. And she set everything up. All I had to do was be there as the adult. Her oldest daughter is 15, then she has a 12-year-old and a 7-year-old. And so they knew how to do everything. Uh, Nicolette would set it all up. Every day before she went to work, they were sleeping. She, would, she had a bulletin board, and she would write on the whiteboard the activities for the day. She wrote a schedule for every day. On Friday, when I woke up, I saw her board. It said, Happy Preparation Day. Then she had a list of things for them to do. And they knew this was not something I was just there as the adult. But they knew this was something that they, it was their regular routine. So on Fridays, they knew it was preparation day. They knew what to do. She had the chores written down. Everyone would pick a chore, even my seven-year-old grandson. He had to pick a chore, do that. When it was done, he had to make a check. Cause, and she was like, and at 1230, I'll be home. I'll check your homework. I'll check your chores. So, But the fact that she had that preparation and they were in that mindset and that mode told me that Nicolette did not just go to church, but church was in her. And she was trying to teach her children, the same way I try to teach mine, of the Lord. And so that made me feel good. Now, in addition to that, and seeing that she was actually teaching her children about Jesus, mm -hmm. Nicolette herself was very involved. And you found out really quite by accident that as involved as she was, she was asked to share a little bit about her experience as a deaf person mm -hmm. uh, that was in the, an article in the Lake Union Herald. So you opened up and saw this article in your daughter and her family. Right. No, actually, uh, they contacted me oh, okay. and said, hey, we hear there's a difference. I said, well, yes, she was born and grew up in Michigan in the Ypsilanti Church. She no longer lives here. She's now in, in uh, Washington, D.C. But they said, we'd still like to do an article. Okay. And so in 2020, I believe, mm -hmm. they did an article of Nicolette and there's Nicolette and her family. That's the cover of the article. And they just talked about, um, just asked her about, you know, being deaf in the church, growing up, her experiences, and yes. And what was, uh, I thought the article was rather interesting, and you can actually go to the Lake Union Herald online and read that article. If you go to the archives, you can see that, um, that magazine. And I thought it was interesting that one of the things that she said is that it's important for the church to know and understand the people that are in the congregation, to have an appreciation for the culture that they may bring, to be patient and loving and embracing so that they can love Jesus too. Yes. So, and this is Nicolette's family, so that's like the whole family. Yes. There are... Um there's Nicolette on the left, far left. Her middle child, her son, Nathaniel. The one that's laid across is her youngest. And then her 15-year-old daughter. And then she has two stepchildren, her husband's kids, Angel and Leslie, and then her husband on the other side. And her husband, 
is also deaf. Yes. Okay. So the two stepchildren are hearing. Mm -hmm. One of her children has normal hearing, and her daughter and youngest, her oldest and youngest, they're also deaf. So tell us about now how Nicolette is involved in her church. Um, this next picture shows a group of individuals um, of the deaf youth ministry. Yes, this is the group of deaf young adult for Christ. This is a group, an Adventist group that Nicolette is spearheading or leading out in at this particular time. It's they wanted to be among peers that were having the same challenges they were having. And so here is this group. This was taken at the deaf camp meeting in Georgia. But these are deaf young adults from all over. Um, yeah. And Nicolette is very involved with this group. Yes, she's the president of this group. She's the president. Yes. <laughs> okay, so as we, those of you who don't know, know Nicolette may not be aware that she's very independent. Yeah. Uh, and uh, even to the point when there, she was younger, yeah. she wanted to learn how to drive. And Marie yeah. went to great lengths to, well, maybe that's not something you want to do. And what, yes, what I really tried to discourage her. Mm -hmm. I really did. And she was very patient. She, t she wasn't upset when I would say, well, you know, the training takes, it, it costs $300. And, you know, and of course, they can't just go like the other kids that are doing driver's ed. They can't just enroll in a class and take it because they're not hearing. They have to put some things in place. Well, you know, up until this point, they had depended on me to put those things in place, any special things they needed to do. But because I was not encouraging them to drive, her and Tana, most, a lot of you know Tana, because I was not encouraging them to drive, they were like, okay. So she's like, so we need money? I said, yeah. She said, okay. The next year she came back and she said, okay, mom, her and Tana came to me and said, here is the schedule. This is the class we've chosen, this session. We already have the interpreters all set. You don't have to worry about interpreting for us. We have the interpreters all set. We have, the, we have chosen the class. We've spoken with the teacher. Everything is all set. All we need from you is for you to sign because we're not 18 yet. So we need for you to sign so we can take this driver's ed class. And I thought to myself, oh, but I do have one last thing. I'm like, but you know, we still don't have that $300. She said, how much was that, 300? Okay, so she left, went to her room and she came back and she's like, here you go, here's a $300. <laughs> she had a job, she worked, she saved her money because she was taking no excuses, okay? So her and Tana, they both have driver's license. They both are very good drivers, and they were gonna get their driver's license, okay? They were not gonna be deterred. So they're independent, and Nicolette drives in New York City, somewhere where I do not like to drive. But if you know anything about Washington, D.C., the traffic is just as bad there, and they're fine with it. Of course, you know, maybe, because they can't hear all the horns and noises and all of that, maybe that's a good thing for them because they will, they're not, they're very comfortable driving in anywhere. And one day Nicolette was home and we were going somewhere, she was driving. 
And she pulled over. And I'm like, why are you pulling over? She's like, because there's an ambulance coming. And I said, an ambulance? There was no sirens, no nothing. And I turned around, and sure enough, there were lights flashing behind us, and there was an ambulance coming. So they depend more on their vision, but sometimes because we depend on our vision, so our, our hearing so much, we miss a lot of what's going on around us, but they are very in tune to what's happening everywhere. They're well aware of their surroundings, so they're good drivers. So this just gives you an example of the kind of person that Nicolette is. And now she's president of the Deaf Youth Ministry team, mm -hmm. And uh, to the point where uh, she actually preached a sermon. Yes. Um, they asked her to preach at her company. They went out and formed a company with deaf. They attended hearing churches, but weren't always, it wasn't always the right fit because, you know, they were in the minority, and sometimes people just didn't think. Um, and would like, we used to have our deaf ministry here, they would sit in that second pew, it was reserved for them. But someone who is not a part of the deaf culture might say, oh, we need that pew, can you move back? Can you move back a couple rows? Well, obviously that's insensitive, but that person is not trying to be insensitive, they just don't know. So um, they can advocate for themselves and so on, but they are more comfortable in a setting where they're not excluding hearing people, but they're the ones that are in leadership roles. And so, yeah, Nicola was asked to preach, and she was a little nervous, but she's a risk taker. We actually have a 30-second <laughs> clip just to give you an idea of what it's like to watch someone who is deaf preaching a sermon. So this is Nicolette who's preaching the sermon, follow in his steps. Now, none of you understood what was going on, correct? So just flip that script. And if you have deaf individuals in your community or in your church and someone is speaking, they feel now the way you feel. And so it's important for us to understand the different needs that different people have so that we can be patient and long-suffering, well, that's the same thing, but long-suffering, so that we can give them the opportunity to learn to know Jesus. And I am so grateful to Marie that she decided this was something that was really needed here at the Ypsilanti Church. And it's not just for Nicolette. Tana was another, um, another uh, deaf, deaf member. member. Mm -hmm. uh, they had children who were deaf. Their Gage was a deaf mm -hmm. member. Yeah. So they were comfortable coming here. I know that Tana actually came here with Nicolette because her grandmother is a member of the Ann Arbor Church. She was. She's she not was deceased, a, but she okay. was a member of the Ann Arbor Church. But both girls were with me on Sabbath because we had interpreting here. They did not have an interpreter at the Ann Arbor Church, so this was where they came to be taught of the Lord. And Tana is still um, here in, in Michigan, in Ypsilanti, and in Ann Arbor, 
And, you know, that is something that is still needed because we do still have deaf members here. And again, the Ypsilanti Church have been, has been extremely supportive of this ministry, extremely supportive of this ministry. We have, they have, you know, covered the cost of the interpreters, which is, you know, important because the interpreters, most, all of the interpreters were non-Adventists. So it's not like they were members here and, oh, we'll just do it. No. The, I was the only interpreter that was actually a member of this church. So the church has been supportive. The church has supported that effort. And because of that, because of me being willing to be led by God and because of the church just being supportive of that particular need, now Nicolette can go out and tell somebody. And you know, witness in her field, which is the deaf world. Now she's witnessing there, and I am so grateful to God that he gave me that, that mission, and, you know, because all the honor, the glory, and the praise goes to him. So I'm grateful that Ypsilanti stepped up, because we certainly could have said, oh, too much money. Right. We only have one deaf person. Is there somewhere else that they can go? But we knew that Nicolette was part of our family. And it wasn't just Nicolette. And um, this is Marie. She's actually on the screen. You see she's seated in the pastor study. And as the service unfolds, continues, she is interpreting. So thanks to our media team who has arranged it so that as she's interpreting, there's actually a camera, obviously, showing her so that those that are joining the, the service can understand what's happening at the Ypsilanti Church. There aren't many churches that provide that opportunity where individuals who can go online or even attend in person mm -hmm. to participate in a church service. Right, and we have... Right now, online reaches so many more than we could reach just here. So we're, I'm also very grateful and thankful to God for that opportunity because we're reaching deaf people that are not even in Michigan. And Debbie, I just wanted to show you, you saw that picture of the, the, t deaf the young the adults wearing this t-shirt and Nicolette's sermon had to do with following in his steps but I just liked I liked it because on the front it says follow in his steps on the back it says don't follow me don't follow in my steps I run into walls <laughs> So they have a sense of humor, too. <laughs> okay. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the church for us to remember as we seek um, to do outreach and evangelism, reach people that, we may, that may not be like us? Right. Always be open to reaching those who are not like you. And do whatever it is we need to do to put those things in place. If a visitor comes through our door and has a need, then we should try to, you know, accommodate that need. Make sure we welcome everyone that comes in because we don't know why God sent them here. So we should always be welcoming and, you know, people coming into our church and be a witness in whichever way you can. Everyone has, of us, have our own specific 
way to witness that God has given us. So we should just embrace that. Thank you very much, Marie. At this time, thank you. I'd like to ask uh, Jacqueline, uh, Jackie to me, Blake, I've known Jackie since um, I was a child in New York City. Jacqueline Blake is a member of the Inkster Church here in, in Inkster, the Sharon Church in Inkster, and she is trained as a grade school teacher, but most recently, uh, for the last 30 years actually, she's been uh, functioning as an educational consultant. And she also hosts a radio program entitled Save Our Black Boys. And so as I um, advance the screen, unfreeze. This is uh, the website for Save Our Black Boys. But before we get into how that all happened, let's talk about your work as an educational consultant. What was the focus of the, the workshops that you presented and how did that come to be? Thank you, Debbie, for the opportunity to show how God works mm -hmm. in my life. According to the achievement data, the lowest achievers on national standardized tests are African-American boys. And we know from the creation story that the little black boy is no less intelligent and no less capable than the highest achiever, who happens to be the Asian child. So what are some of the factors at play that gave such poor results for the African-American boy in schools was the focus of my workshops. And some other observations, as a classroom teacher back in the 70s, I'm dating myself, but that's where I am. There were so few children's books that showed the black child as the major character back in the 70s when I started teaching. It's gotten better now. So I developed workshops on how to use children's literature, more diverse children's literature, multicultural literature in the classrooms. That was one of the workshops. We observed systemic racism in the educational system. For example, little black boys are suspended and expelled disproportionately at higher rates than any other ethnic group. That's a problem. Also, we observed the racial data of elementary teachers. Over 80% of elementary teachers in America are white females. So the little black boy sees very few adult faces in the school that look like him. That's a problem. Plus, sometimes there's a cultural disconnect between the little black boy and the white teacher. Knowing about the boy brain, the boy brain is totally different from the girl brain. Well, I and know that. The man brain is totally different <laughs> from the woman brain. Absolutely. And schools cater to the learning style of females. So that's a problem. For example, the male brain shuts down frequently. That's why the husband looks at you when you're talking and doesn't say anything, because <laughs> he's not really listening. <laughs> okay, because his brain has shut down. The male brain shuts down frequently, but it can be reactivated. And guess what reactivates the male brain? Movement. Activity. That's the very thing that teachers tell the little black boys not to do. If you don't finish your worksheet, you won't be able to have what? Recess. So this is one of the points we make in the workshop to the teachers. Ch recess is a right 
and not a privilege. Children need to move. So these are some of the things that propelled the workshops to cater to how to facilitate better uh, uh, academic achievement and success, for, especially for little black boys, but for all children, but especially the African-American community. Now, uh, now we have an understanding of the type of workshops that you presented. So was hosting a radio program in your career aspirations, was that part of the plan? Never. I had no intention to be on the radio, never, ever, ever. So how did that come to be? <laughs> well, um, I was given these workshops all over the nation. God had me all of East, West Coast, California, New York, all over presenting professional development workshops for educators. And I had one called Save Our Black Boys. This was a workshop for educators for the reasons, some of the reasons I just delineated. And, um, my daughter was accepted to Columbia University Teachers College, so I went with her for the orientation. I was sitting there in New York City listening to the president of Columbia University say, one of our future initiatives is to see if there's a relationship between diet and better achievement for the marginalized students, which basically were the African-American students. And I was sitting there and God said to me, you're already doing this, because I had a workshop on how um, nutrition impacts academic achievement, et cetera. So I heard the voice of God say to me, take these workshops to another level, to a higher level. And for me, that meant instead of waiting for schools and superintendents to invite me in to do the workshops, host workshops myself so that there would be a wider audience. So I did that. I came back to Michigan. I rented the Embassy Suites Hotel and sent out notices all across the area. And the place was filled. People came from the University of Michigan, from Pontiac School District, pastors from Baptist churches were there. And um, I knew no one in the audience except one person. But at the end of the workshop, a young man came up to me. He said, my mother sent me here because he's interested in the black boys. And he, after hearing the workshop, he said, you need to be on the radio. <laughs> He knows all these people, so he's the one who talked to a station manager, mm -hmm. and long story short, they gave me a radio program. So, and so you shared with me how God prepared you for this responsibility, because mind you, you didn't go to school for communications or media, and so you had to prepare a promo which, uh, and I'll just insert here, Al Rogers, who many of you know, who was a teacher at Peterson Warren Academy, provided you assistance so that you could develop a promo to take with you to the meeting for, with this um, station manager. And when he heard that promo, he said, oh, you must be on the radio already, because it was a very professional promo. She didn't know what he was talking about because she didn't know anything about radio. And yet, God provided you this opportunity, and now you have the radio program, Save Your Black Boys. So tell us a little bit um, about how God prepared you for this responsibility, since you didn't take classes, so to speak. Right. My, I was studying undergrad. I was actually studying science. Mm -hmm. And um, I had to take an elective way back in, in uh, undergrad in Massachusetts. I don't know how I got into this class on news writing. And I remember the first day in this class, <laughs> I looked at the professor and I said to myself, why am I here? I am not interested in learning how to, you know, different kinds of writing styles and information writing and news writing. So I see how God used that course 
to help me with the broadcast. Also, when I was teaching at Adventist Church School down south, South Central Conference, one of the um, parents of one of my students came to me one day, said, I'm gonna start a radio program, and I want you to be a co-host. So I did. That was long ago. Um, and then also, I was on the radio. I had forgotten about this. A, a Baptist uh, preacher uh, in Detroit invited me to be on his radio show here in Michigan. So I can see how God was using mm -hmm. these past experiences mm -hmm. to groom me for radio here in Michigan. So tell us about the format of Save Our Black Boys. So Save Our Black Boys, since I already had the workshop, mm -hmm. it was informational. I was sharing information from the content of the radio. So we're talking about black history, we're talking about literacy, we're talking about um, diet, mm -hmm. nutrition, very important, child development, like things like that. And T, Elder T. Marshall Kelly is a family friend. And I was getting burned out every week. Every week I had to go to the station in Detroit and take these shows. And um, I was getting burned out. Just me sharing content. And I remember speaking to Elder T. Marshall Kelly. You may know that he has a radio program at Oakwood University. He's been, he had been on the air. He just passed. For 40 years his radio show had been on the air. So Elder Kelly's a personal friend. Elder Kelly says, Sister Blake. Why don't you interview people? <laughs> I had never thought of interviewing Debbie. So now, that's what I do almost exclusively, interviewing. As you see, you see someone on the screen that I interviewed. <laughs> so it has changed, changed to an interview format. And our target audience, so I have a workshop for Save Our Black Boys for Parents. I have one for the educators, one for parents. So this show is largely for parents and what they can do in the home and how they can advocate in the school so their youngsters will have better success. Um, so we emphasize, as I said, good nutrition. We talk about systemic racism and implicit biases, how to overcome that. Uh, how to empower the parent to advocate for their children. And because it's a Christian radio show, I was so excited because unlike when I present workshops, you know, in the public schools, I'm not allowed to talk about the Bible, but because it's a Christian radio show now, I can show the biblical foundations for some of these principles that I'm sharing with the parents. So I really appreciate God for letting me be on, the Christ, on a Christian station. So since you moved to an interview format, you needed people to interview. And interestingly, God has given you opportunities to run across the, the world <laughs> and meet notable personalities. Just share with us a, just a couple, because I know there are many. Yes. So we'll just start with the first one, and that's on the screen. So that's how Stedman. did you end up? Yes. Sorry, Debbie. Go ahead. Stedman Graham, I'm sure you all know who he's associated with, right? So I met, and so God told me, I heard God say to me, I'm expanding your territory because I, I was limiting myself to Michigan when my children were in the nest, so to speak. But when they flew the coop, empty nest, God enlarged my territory so I could travel all abroad. So God said to me, as you travel, interview. Mm -hmm. So when I go places, I'm looking for people to interview. I'm scoping them out. So I was at a workshop on, the, uh, on um, the education of young black children in Chicago. And who did I see in the audience but Stedman? So I said, I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. <laughs> I, I think by now you recognize that there is not a shy bone in Jackie's body. So, so it was easy for her to make connections. So I won't say that I was a stalker, but I was a stalker, okay? <laughs> I said, there's Stedman. Go over there. So I followed him. Anyway, um, here we are. 
he was so gracious. Um, he presented a workshop that day on his focus is identity. Mm -hmm. And he told us on, when I interviewed him um, that he has brothers who are dis differently abled. Mm -hmm. And people associated, identified him as the same situation as his brothers. So his, he's strong on identity. And I was very careful not to mention Oprah's name, mm -hmm, you know, because mm -hmm. he has said he doesn't want to be in anyone else's mm -hmm. shadow. Mm -hmm. So I was real clear. On, on, I personally made the decision not to try not to mention her name in the interview. Let's go to the next person. Okay. So that is Trayvon Martin's mother. So we, have, we do programs on um, police brutality mm -hmm. and violence against young black mm -hmm. males. So I was happy that I was able to meet her. And then... Um, Selma, Alabama. I was walking the Edmund Pettus Bridge at the 50th anniversary of Bloody Sunday. And who do I run into but Lyndon Baines Johnson's, President Johnson's daughter, Lucy Baines Johnson. So we had a chance to talk with her briefly. And there's um, Congressman John Lewis. That was at the Democratic uh, National Convention in Denver. God opened the door for me to be a representative for the state of Michigan. And there's a wonderful story that goes with that picture. Okay, so why don't you quickly tell us that okay. story? So I'm on the airplane flying from Michigan to Denver. I have credentials as a Michigan um, community representative. The, we changed planes. This young lady comes up to me, total stranger, off the plane, and she says, are you going to Denver? I had on my Barack Obama and MLK shirt. So maybe that's, she figured that out. I said, yes, I'm going to Denver. She said, I am too. She said, um, what are you doing tonight? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> so she said, I'll talk to you when we get off the plane in Denver. So we got back on the plane. We got off in Denver. And she came over to me. She said, I'm Michelle Obama's classmate. We went to school together. I said, are you going to see Michelle tonight? She said, yes. I said, well, tell Michelle that I said, <laughs> I gave her a little message for Michelle. But she said, what are you doing tonight? And I'm like, why is she asking me this? She said, why don't you come to the party where everybody is going to be? And I, I was speechless. And she gave me the address of the party where everybody's going to be, so you can imagine who those people are. And that's where I met Congressman John Lewis. Everybody who was anybody in black history was in the lobby of that fancy hotel in Denver. So uh, John Lewis, um, Al Sharpton, Bernice King, I sat down with her, uh, Dr. King's daughter. I spoke to her and took pictures. So God just opened doors for me to meet so many people that day. Deval Patrick, the governor of Massachusetts, who's Barack's uh, close friend, I had a chance to meet with him and uh, eat breakfast with the Michigan delegation. So, so many people that day, Debbie. I think in, what was interesting that you shared with me is a remark that this young lady made to you. That oh, was yes. When she was telling me here's the address, why don't you come? She paused and she looked at me intently. She said, you have favor. It was like she didn't know why she was sharing this with me. And then she said it to me again. She said, you have favor. And I know that was only God opening the door of opportunity for me. Amen. Amen. So um, as we consider the path that God has brought you on, what would you like to share with the Ypsilanti Church family and those who are watching online to remember? Remember that God opens doors that will surprise you. Phenomenal things. Be, buckle your seatbelt. 
God has wonderful things in store for all of his children, number one. Number two, God has a plan and a purpose for each of us and a work for each of us to do based on the gifts that he's given us. And when you use your gift to his glory, you have J-O-Y joy. You're so happy, and God loves to make his children happy, doesn't he? And there's a verse that says he likes to delight over us with singing. So I feel so fulfilled with this radio gift that God has given me and the opportunity to minister to uh, teachers, to parents, and to the listening audience. So God will equip you. The past experiences that he has given you, he will, they're not wasted. I was wondering why I was in that news writing class and why I was here and there. God brings all of that together and he opens doors to place you where he wants to place you for his glory. Thank you very much, Jackie. Thank we you. appreciate your sharing. So as you can see, um, their testimonies, both Marie and Jackie, demonstrate those four characteristics. You are where you are for a reason. Be faithful no matter what. Have courage in what you need to do. And be available. Say, here am I, send me. And we have seen in their experience, they had no idea what was happening. God only allows you to see but so far in the future because he wants you to rely completely on him. But one of the things you mentioned to me, Jackie, is that God opens doors, but we have the responsibility of walking through them. So you need to take the step. And so what we want to do here at Ypsilanti is to provide those opportunities. And our outreach committee, you can have a seat, sorry, thank you. Our outreach committee will be meeting actually on Sunday. And we're going to be developing uh, different opportunities that we want to engage all of the church service, uh, the church members, so that you can find your niche. Um, it may not be a radio program. It may not be starting a ministry like the deaf ministry here at Ypsilanti, but it's something where you can make a difference in the lives of people that you meet and to let them know that Jesus loves them and that he's coming again soon. Because that is our core mission. That is why we're sitting here in these pews, not just to sit. This is not pew ministry, because we don't want a few ministering. We want all of us to be engaged and available and actively working. So my admonition, my appeal to you is that you will, with heart and hand and head, give everything to Jesus so that he can use all of us to hasten his soon coming. Thank you. Have a blessed day.